Picture with me uh, a lump of clay, a little ball of clay. It's formless. Uh, it is without value. It's without use. And yet, at the same time, it contains uh, a powerful intrinsic value. This lump of clay within it contains certain oxides, a certain coloration, a certain pigment, a certain porousness that no other lump of clay in the entire earth holds. And so within this lump of clay, though it is useless and formless in its state, is immense value. And so we've got to take this lump of clay and we've got to turn it into something with shape. We've got to turn it into something with form. We've got to figure out a way to take the value inherent in this clay and put it to use in the world that it exists in. And so you could uh, take the clay and with your thumbs and your fingers begin to shape and to pull and to begin to try to sculpt something beautiful. But if you're anything like me, about three minutes into the process, you realize that the closest you're going to get to a beautiful sculpture is like a distant cousin of Jabba the Hutt, just kind of amorphous, yikes. And so, uh, luckily for all of us, I am not a sculptor by trade, uh, or my kingdom builder's commitment will be, won't be looking very good, won't be advancing the message very far. Uh, but luckily for all of us, thousands of years ago, somebody figured out a lot better way to turn this lump of clay uh, into something with form, into a vessel that can actually uh, bring use and value to the world around it. The idea is this, to take the clay, to throw it into the center of a round, flat stone called a potter's wheel. And as the potter, with his foot, propels this wheel, uh, the wheel will spin around, which will create the perfect environment for this clay and that even the slightest touch of a thumb or a finger will create creases, uh, will create divots, will allow this formless piece of clay to start to take shape. And so uh, when the potter has the clay uh, in the center of the potter's wheel, the first step is this. They call it opening the clay. The potter literally takes his thumbs, presses them directly into the center of the clay. And as he does this, walls form. The shapeless, formless clay has immediately taken a shape, and everything within the clay is changed. Air bubbles pop out, the molecules are rerouted, impurities rise to the surface and are skimmed off, and this formless void of clay all of a sudden has a purpose, has a use. It begins to show a shadow of the vessel it could become. And in an instant, as the clay is opened up, we begin to see a usefulness of value to this clay. The potter will continue to shape uh, as the wheel spins. He'll take his thumbs. If you've ever seen an artisan do this, it seems almost effortless. Uh, but the artisan will take his thumbs, apply pressure. If he applies too much pressure, uh, the clay will stretch too thin. It will grow brittle and it will break, causing him to have to start over. Yet if the potter applies too much pressure with his fingers, with his thumbs as it spins, uh, it, it grows brittle. If he applies too little pressure, the vessel will grow too wide, too fat, and it will never reach the full potential, the, the holding vessel that it could have become at the hands of the potter. And so the potter slowly, patiently applies just the right amount of pressure to create, to transform this lump of clay into a vessel that can hold and carry and provide value to the world around it. Now, there are times in this process uh, that impurities rise to the surface of the clay. And as this happens, sometimes the clay will go askew, will take a different route than the potter had intended for it. When this happens, it can feel like it's a total loss, like the clay is useless. But the potter, in his infinite wisdom, simply takes a thumb, 
pushes down the clay back to the place where it was cooperating with the plan and starts over. Sometimes this feels like a waste of time, a waste of energy on the part of the potter. But he knows that as he's taken the time, as the impurities have risen to the surface, there's an ability to skim off the impurities and to make the final product, the vessel this clay will become, even stronger, even more able to fulfill the purpose that it is called to fulfill. And so the process continues, and he shapes, and he molds, and he uses his fingers and his thumbs and applies just the right pressure until all of a sudden, this clay that had once been just a lump with no value to add to the world has become something beautiful, a vessel that adds value, a vessel that can carry a bowl or a pot or a spoon or a fork. All of a sudden, this clay has become something more. It is beautiful, and it is useful. This isn't a surprise to the potter. He's known since before he even picked up the clay what he would turn it into. He knows his intent, and he has just simply seen it fulfilled as the clay has been molded. But to the clay, this little lump of clay with intrinsic value but no usefulness has transformed itself, has become something beautiful, something of value, has aspired to something beyond its wildest dreams for itself. Think of this, the little lump of clay is now beautiful, decorative, but so useful in the world around it. And all it did was allow itself to be molded. This probably sounds like a really cute illustration to us, uh, maybe a little too cliche, a little too churchy. If you were in the church in the 90s, you probably sang one too many songs in the minor key about God being the potter and us being the clay and being molded and shaped and all that stuff. Because... This whole illustration, the potter and the clay, uh, it doesn't quite apply to our lives. We don't spend a lot of time around pottery. In fact, a lot of the husbands in here probably commiserate with me. When you hear the word pottery, the first painful image that comes to your mind uh, is your wife taking your life savings to a store at the Galleria because she saw a piece that is going to cause the whole space to just come together so beautifully. Anyone else? Pastors are not immune to that torture, unfortunately. Uh, but today, we don't interact a lot with pottery. We think of it as decorative. We think of it as uh, pretty, as defining a certain style. And so this metaphor doesn't quite hit home. But rewind the track a couple thousand years, back to the time that the Bible was written. At that time, if you're outside of the temple of the priest or the palace of the king, literally everything that made a society run was forged out of clay. The pots that they carried water in, uh, the agricultural tools, even weaponry, uh, cooking utensils, eating utensils. If society were to run as it would, it was because clay made it possible. And so this imagery carries a little more weight in the direct context of the writing of Scripture. 2,700 years ago, uh, through the prophet Jeremiah, God draws this parallel. In Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 6, God speaks to his people Israel. And he asked them if they would be willing, once again, they had lost their way, but he asks, will you allow me to be the potter? Will you be clay in my hands and allow me to mold you and shape you? Let's read together in Jeremiah 18. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, says Jeremiah, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. 
Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as the potter does? Can I not do with my people as the potter does? The Lord declares, Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O Israel. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so should be the people of God in the hand of their heavenly Father. And so God says, Here's the plea. Here's the cry. Will my people allow me to mold them and shape them, to take the intrinsic value that I've placed in each and every one of you, and with my hand, with my patience, with my guidance, mold you and turn you into the individual, the vessel of the power of God that I have created you to be? This is the question from our God, and it leads us to one question that I want all of us to ask ourselves today. This is a question that applies to you whether you're in on this Jesus thing or you're just checking it out, whether you're sold out or you're not really sure, whether you're a philosophical person or you don't really care about that whole high in the sky thing. Because the answer to this question, if you can find it, will predict, will help you to trace the trajectory of your life from this point until the point that you meet your maker someday. The question that I want, I want us to ask ourselves today is this. What is molding you? What is molding you? What is the driving force behind your formation? What is the one thing in this world more than any other thing? Maybe it's a fear. Maybe it's a philosophy. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something someone spoke over you a long time ago. Maybe it's a bank account. But there is something in your life that is molding you. Not one of us is the master of our own domain. Every single one of us is being driven toward an end by something. So the question I would ask myself, the question I would ask you to ask yourself is what is molding you? And if you can find the answer to that question, for most of us, it probably pops to mind pretty quickly. It's the thing that you fall asleep thinking about. It's the thing that you think about when you wake up in the morning. It's the thing that drives the way you interact with people, that drives what you do in the workplace. Uh, for most of us, we should be able to identify our molder, our maker, our shaper. But the question I have to follow up is this. Are you satisfied with what's molding your life? If you were to die today, would you be satisfied looking back on the legacy you've led, the pursuits you've made, and the thing that's driven you to all of that? Now, if you're in this place and you're a follower of Jesus Christ... There's only one answer to this question, only one correct answer to this question at least. If you follow Jesus Christ, then your molder, your shaper, should be your heavenly father. If I'm a follower of Christ, it's the only option, it's the only right way, and it is a no-brainer. If the God who created me is willing to mold me, just like he says he is here in Jeremiah, then why would I allow anything else to be my driving force? And so in this place, I would like us to ask and to realign ourselves with the answer to this question. What is molding you? And if it is not the God of heaven, today is the day to begin to let that change. And so associated with that question today, I have the second dangerous prayer for us to pray. Last week we prayed, God, not my will, but your will be done. This week, the dangerous prayer that I want us to pray together is this. God, mold me. God mold me. Profound, simple, God mold me. We have the opportunity for the God who created us, the God who runs the universe, to shape 
our path to turn us into the vessel that we're called to be, to put his hand on our life and guide us everywhere we'll go. Are you ready to pray with me? God, mold me. If you are, then there's a few things that I need you to know about this prayer. There's three things that I want to share with you. If you're ready to begin to pray, God, mold me, you've got to know a couple things. Number one, if I'm willing to pray the prayer, God, mold me, then I need to know. When I pray, mold me, I give up the idea that I'm in charge of where I'm going. When I pray, God, mold me, I give up my own plans for who I'll become in my life. I received uh, the salvation of Jesus Christ when I was 13 years old. And just like the clay being opened up, God put himself into the middle of my life and he changed me drastically in a moment where there was no hope, where there was no future. Uh, I was filled with hope and excitement. And so I said, Jesus, this is pretty cool. I like it. I want more. So if you've got more for me, you can start molding me. You can shape me. You can turn me into the person that I'm supposed to be. And so at 13 years old, I began to pray the prayer, God, mold me. And I gave up whoever I wanted to be. Now, at the time, I was 13, and there was only one thing that I was sure of, and it was my destiny. At 13 years old, I knew that I knew that I knew that I was going to one day be an NBA all-star. I was going to cross over Allen Iverson. I was going to dunk on Dikembe Mutombo, throw up the big finger in his face and say, oh, no, 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 no. I was destined for the National Basketball Association. Uh, I know, right? Good Dikembe. I've practiced that before. Uh, I was destined for the NBA, but it became really clear to me at 13 years old as I began to pray that mold me prayer that God had a different plan for my life. I don't know why I was five foot four, 160 pounds, white kid from the country in Wisconsin, and for some reason, God didn't see my future in the NBA. Really, really weird. Really, really weird. I was really, really rotund. And God decided that there was a different plan, a different molding, a different calling on my life. And so I began to submit myself. I began to allow God to shape me and mold me from the inside out, from my heart into the rest of my being and into my actions. God molded me and shaped me. And as I followed his prompting, uh, I got more excited about leadership about seeing people come to know Jesus. And as he continued to mold me, felt a call into ministry. Uh, and so I pursued it, came up here, went to Bible college, got involved at this awesome church called River Valley Church. And now today, 10 years after I prayed that mold, mold me prayer, here's how cool God is. Now today, I'm the associate and youth pastor at the Edina area campus. Uh, and I, it, it, it's awesome. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. Uh, but now, 10 years later, I take your 13-year-olds to the gym, and I make them look like chumps on the basketball court. I slam it in their face. I dribble around them. I have no shame. And that is how our God, in his sovereignty, brings us right back around to a place of fulfillment of our callings. This is our God. So good. I really do. I love your teenagers, and they make me feel so good about myself. But when I pray... God mold me. I need to know that I give up on my dreams. I give up on my plans. I give up on what I want to become in this life. And here's how it works. Ephesians 2.10 says this. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So here's how it works. God gets a hold of my life. 
I begin to pray, God, mold me. God, shape me. God, let me live according to your will and your purpose for my life. And God doesn't then just say, oh, okay, he's in. We got to figure out what we're supposed to do with Logan now that he's praying the prayer. No, God says, I have laid out since before the formation of the earth good works planned for you. And so when you begin to pray, God, mold me, he picks you up puts you on the path, begins to mold you and shape you in a plan that has been here for you since before the earth was formed. And I just believe when God has that kind of pre-planning in mind, it's probably going to work out pretty well, right? And so when I give up on what uh, I want to become, God puts his hand on me and shapes me and molds me in a whole different way. Second point, when I pray, God mold me, I need to know that I must remain pliable. When I pray, God, mold me, I need to keep myself in a place where I can continue to be molded. You know, you know in pottery, there's really only one death sentence for that little lump of clay we talked about. Uh, if at any time in the process, the clay becomes hardened and crunchy, if the clay loses its pliability and moldability, then all of a sudden, this intrinsically valuable piece of clay that has been shaped and molded, that has a plan in mind, uh, if it loses its pliability, the clay is no longer useful. It's no longer moldable. And so there are really two options, either to completely start over and hope that the clay is reusable or to put the clay in the kiln and finish the process as is. The same is true for our lives. There is nothing stopping your heavenly Father from molding you and shaping you Accept a hardened heart. When I let my heart get hardened, God cannot, in his sovereignty, in his power, because he loves me enough, when my heart is hard, God, God cannot put his hands on me and shape me and mold me in the way that he's called me to. And so because of that, there is only one thing that we need to do. We pray, mold me, God, and then there's only one action step that we as followers of Christ need to do. We need to guard our hearts. We need to make sure that we are not losing our way. We are not uh, losing the path. We are not letting our hearts become hardened against the work that God has in our lives. Because here's what I know. In this room, there are many of us who somewhere along the path, somewhere in our lives, we've prayed a God mold me kind of prayer. We've said, God, whatever you've got for me, I want it. Even if it means that you're not going to push this up here and let me grow an extra eight inches to head into the NBA somewhere. Whatever your call and your plan is, I want it. But then life happens. Just like the clay on the potter's wheel, the world spins around around us. The environment we're in doesn't push us toward God. We become a little hard, and then things get harder. We feel like God's not touching us or moving us. And so over time, we just become hardened to the working of God. We lose our pliability, and then we look around and say, God, where have you been? Jesus gives us the template. Jesus shows us how to keep ourselves pliable, to make sure that we never fall into that place of hardness where God can't have his way in our lives. He gives it to us in Luke chapter 9. In Luke 9, 23 and 24, Jesus tells us that in order for me as a follower of Christ to keep myself pliable and moldable at the hand of God, I've got to do three things. I've got to daily deny myself, daily deny my plans for myself, daily deny what I want to become. And then Jesus says that I need to take up my cross and follow him. 
If daily you and I will pray a prayer and say, Jesus, let me be identified with your suffering on the cross. If daily I will say, Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. If I will do that on a daily basis, he will keep me pliable, he will keep my heart flexible, and God's hand will continue to mold me and shape me as I allow him to. So church, we need to know, when you pray this God mold me prayer, we've got one action step. I must remain pliable to the working of God in my heart. And that seems kind of crazy. Jesus tells us I need to identify with his sufferings, to take up the cross. That's not a light message. That's heavy. That's burdensome. It tells me that I'm going to suffer. It tells me that I'm going to hurt sometimes. It tells me that I'm not always going to get my way, that I have to put others before me. Is it really worth it? It is. And here's why, because point number three, when I pray, God mold me, here's what you've got to know. When I pray, God mold me, God have your way in and through me, what God will do with my life will absolutely blow my mind. When you open yourself up and say, Heavenly Father, put your hand on my life, shape me, mold me, turn me into your vessel, you've got to know that what God will do in and through you, the finished product, will be so much greater than you ever could have dreamt of for yourself. Just like the little lump of clay in the illustration, at the end of the process, he has achieved something for himself so much greater than he ever could have by himself. He has become beautiful and powerful and useful, and people's lives will be impacted through him for as long as that little piece of clay is in existence. The same is true for us. When I allow my heavenly father to mold me, the finished product, the person he will make me, is going to resemble something I could never dream of. I began to pray, God mold me 10 years ago. And today, I cannot believe, he's just getting started with me. I've got a long, long road ahead of me. Uh, God is just getting started, but I cannot believe the person that he has led me to be already, the vessel of his power, that I get to be a pastor, that I get to be an influence in the lives of so many people I love and care about so deeply. I am in awe of the person, of the useful vessel for his Holy Spirit that my God has made me. I know this is true for your life. When you pray, God, mold me, he will blow your mind with the power and the beauty that you will show to this world. But here is the final challenge. God's not a genie. God will blow your mind with his plan for your life, but it will not be for your glory. The first thing that happens when I pray, God, shape me, is from the inside out, God begins to change me from my heart to every other, to my actions, to my thought life, God begins to change my perception from for me, what do I have to get for Logan? When I pray God mold me, he changes it to a thought, how do I bring glory to my heavenly father? And so when you pray God mold me, you need to know he will blow your mind, but he will blow your mind because your heart is in it for the glory of your heavenly father. Paul illustrates it uh, in Philippians 3. Verses seven and eight, he says this. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss for the surpassing glory found in the Lord Jesus. Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. 
when I begin to pray, God mold me. He puts his hand directly into the center of my life. He begins to shape me and change me. He begins to work on the impurities in me so that I will be strengthened to carry his love and his spirit to this world. But he starts with my heart. And when you begin to pray, God, mold me, the first thing that he's gonna do is make you more hungry to bring glory to your heavenly father than you are to bring glory and comfort to yourself. In our church, People have prayed this mold me prayer. We've seen CEOs leave successful, successful businesses for the missions field. Yet, on the exact flip side, one of my favorite pastors, Tim Keller, he tells a story of a good friend of his who her entire life, all she wanted to do was go to the mission field. And she pursued it. She went to Bible college. She went to seminary. And right as she was finishing seminary, getting ready to go to the mission field, she felt God say, for my glory, you are not going to the mission field. And she became an entrepreneur. Not so that uh, she could make a lot of money for her own glory. Uh, she didn't understand it at the time, but for God's glory, because he had molded and shaped her, she entered into his call on her life. Back in Green Bay, I was discipled uh, by the Green Bay Packers all-time leading sack getter, a guy named Kab Kabir Baja Biamila. We call him KGB, because how do you say that otherwise? Uh, and Kabir, when he began to pray a God mold me prayer, his heavenly father started to shape his heart and change him. And this guy who was a crazy athletic specimen left a professional football career that he was phenomenal at. Not so that people would look at him and say, what a great guy, but he left it for God's glory. I have no idea what is in store if you will begin to pray a mold me prayer. There's no template, there's no roadmap. It doesn't mean you're gonna be poor. It doesn't mean you're gonna be rich. It doesn't mean you're gonna become a pastor. It doesn't mean you're gonna become a businessman. Every single one of us has a different story as we pray, mold me God for your glory. Yet in everything we do, God will be glorified. So across this room, I have a question for you church. Are you ready pray a God mold me prayer. We're all being molded by something. Our lives are being driven by something. But we have the opportunity to have the God of the universe lay out our lives, turn us into vessels to carry his love to this world. And if I have that opportunity, I think it's crazy to choose any other path. So as you stand to your feet across this room, Let's be a church that prays this dangerous prayer. Let's be a church that allows our Heavenly Father to mold us. Maybe in this room today, this means that you, for the first time, need to let your God open you up, to stick himself into the middle of your life, to take your heart, to take your thoughts, to take your entire being, and begin to turn you in the vessel that he's called you to be. Maybe in this room, you need God to make you pliable once again. You need to begin to let go of your hardness of heart so that God can move in you again. Maybe in this room, there have been some impurities that have fallen to the surface for a while. Maybe nothing huge, maybe nothing crazy, but just some stuff that has caused you to veer off a little bit from the creation God has called you to be. And today, to allow him to mold you means that he's just going to gently push back your plans, your thoughts, 
so that you're in a place where he can move and work and mold you again. But church, I promise you this. If you will let the God who created you mold me, if you will let him have his way in your heart, in your life, at the end of this world, you will not be disappointed. You will be blown away by the creation your God has created you to be. You will be blown away by the purpose you serve. Prayer teams, could you make your way forward? Life group leaders as well. With one more minute, maybe you don't know the first step. Maybe you're new to this church thing, new to this Jesus thing. Maybe you're not sure even how to begin to pray, God mold me. These people are here. They would love to pray with you, to lead you, to teach you how to allow God to take hold of your heart. Church, what would happen if for the next month, every single one of us prayed a God mold me prayer? What would happen in your marriage? What would happen in your kids? What would happen in your board meetings? What would happen in the life of that guy you walk past on a daily basis? What would happen in this community? What would happen in this auditorium if every single one of us for the next month prayed a God mold me prayer? I'm excited to find the answer. I know that right here at the Edina area campus, we are ready to be a God mold me church. Let's pray and let's go live a mold me lifestyle. Heavenly Father, thank you for your work in our lives. Thank you that if we will allow you, the God who created us, the almighty, all-powerful, will put his hand on our lives, will shape us and mold us and create in us something we could never dream of or aspire to. Heavenly Father, thank you that your plan is greater and higher. God, as we pray this mold us prayer, I pray that you will give your people pliability. I pray that we will be so in love with you that we will go through the hard times. We will let you stamp out the impurities. We will face the troubles. We will identify with the cross so that you could shape us. God, we look forward to the vessels you will make us to be to the light we will carry to this world, to the impact that you will have in and through us as you mold us into your creations. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to be shaped and molded by you. Only in the precious name of Jesus Christ can we pray this prayer. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. Church, I love you guys. I love that I can trust that we will let our God mold us. If you need prayer, please do not hesitate. Come find one of these people. But let's leave this place changed. Let's leave this place hungry to be molded by the God whose hand is upon us. And let's see this world changed as he changes us from the inside out. Have an amazing week serving the Lord. We love you guys.